1: Happy Tuesday. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn with The Full House today. Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston, all raring to go for another set of Tuesday conversations. Happy Tuesday, Happy all. Tuesday. Good morning. Happy
2: Tuesday.
1: All right, let's start with a question about something we haven't talked about in quite some time. Why did a federal judge throw out two of the bribery convictions for Jimmy DeMora, the former Cuyahoga County commissioner serving a 28-year sentence on corruption charges? Laura, Jimmy DeMora has been trying so hard all these years to reduce his sentence, to get a new trial. This is a big victory for him.
2: It is. So these two charges were dismissed based on the definition of bribery. And this was one, uh, these are two of many charges that U.S. District Judge Sarah Leoy looked at again after the case was sent back to her from an appeals court. And obviously, Jamor has been in, tri- in jail since, or sorry, prison since 2012. So you're right, he's been working ever since to get out. And so... DeMora's attorneys argued this time around that the Supreme Court ruling, a U.S. Supreme Court ruling in 2016, clarified the definition of an official act that prosecutors must prove to gain conviction of federal bribery. And they said this made the instructions that Leoy gave the jury inaccurate. So, Demora's vote in favor of a business owned by a person who bribed him is considered an official act. Other things he might have done, like making phone calls on behalf of someone or setting up meetings, are not official acts. And so the idea is that in these two of these cases, they were not official acts. And this has to do with uh, the businessman who built an outdoor kitchen and a retaining wall for Demora free of charge.
1: Yeah, I when that ruling came out of the Supreme Court a few years back, I actually thought this might get DeMora off scot-free because so it was so similar in so many ways, and he immediately launched his appeals based on that. And the partial victory does mean he will be resentenced, right? So Correct. So we've been talking for 10 years now about his 20-year sentence. It could come down considerably or a little bit. Do we have any idea? I mean,
2: this is— two of the 12 cases or charges, right? So it's not all of them. And he's going to sentence, she's going to sentence him again in June. John Caniglia wrote the story. He's been covering Demora since, since the corruption scandal broke. And he said, it's unclear what this will mean for the sentence, but you got to think it's going to shave some time off. And you look, I mean, he's been in prison. He's in a medical facility, I think in Connecticut. Um, and you look at Frank Russo, who com- he worked with pro- prosecutors on this. He pleaded and he never did, He didn't have to serve nearly as much time. He actually got out during COVID because of, you know, they were quite kind of clearing everybody out of the prisons. And so you think at what point has DeMora served his time? 28 years is a long time. And he's well, in bad health. He's 66. Remem-
1: remember though, he did lead a massive corrupt government. Yeah, that absolutely. Many point to and say, it's why this region was so moribund. Nobody wanted to do business here. Uh, Russo did commit a worse crime. He took a million bucks and and stole it basically from the taxpayers uh, to get get ahead. But he did cooperate in the end, and that does matter. I also think the 28-year sentence was the judge's way of announcing to the greater community, if you're a public official, don't be corrupt because this is what awaits you. I do wonder now, because it does seem like 28 years was an awfully long time for his crime, whether she'll think all right the message was served he's done his time he's a broken man he'll never be in power again nobody who looks at Jimmy DeMora wants to be Jimmy DeMora will she greatly reduce the sentence and get him out i think Layla in the past you've spoken that you thought that that sentence was a little bit excessive yeah
0: i mean doesn't it seem excessive we see people do you know, we see people take lives and not go to prison that long I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it is though. Of his crimes did affect so many. I mean, it's all, it's almost incalculable how how uh, how dramatic his his crimes affected the region. But so I don't know. What do you think?
1: I well, I do think abusing the public trust is a special brand of betrayal, and I do think that the the results of that should be as strict as possible. I'm not saying that he deserves mm. to serve 28 years in prison. Yeah, but 28 I do years, think so long. Yeah, but, but man, he really did betray the public yeah. trust. And he oh. did cause probably millions and millions and millions of dollars of failed economic development because nobody wanted to do business I'm here. Definitely, I mean, yeah. you couldn't do anything in this county without going to him and and playing That's the game, true. and it and was that, gross. You know, that when was you, his
2: defense, right? Like, this is how it works. Like, this is how, how <laughs> government works. And but it's actually, not. It's right, not how right, it works. Exactly. It's,
1: it's, it's broken when it works that way. And I think the imagery of him and all his cronies going out on the all-expense-paid trip to Vegas and the, the stuff they said on their recordings, like, like everything was at their disposal it was horrible I mean people reading that stuff seeing how their elected leaders betrayed them was terrible for the public trust so I'm glad that he got the 28 years to start I think now that he has served 10 of them is a completely broken man the 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 message has been served and so if she changed it to 15 and he got out in five I don't think anybody would begrudge him
2: yeah probably okay, I, I i think that's reasonable i do want to say that demora's lawyers also tried to include the ohio ethics commission reports that demora had filled out where he included payments and gifts from various contractors which he had wanted to use in his defense so leoy looked at this issue again and she actually decided she was right that the reports should have never been in the trial because they would have unfairly prejudiced the government and would have hurt DeMora's case because they would have opened the possibility of more wrongful conduct. Like, here's all the other things he took that we're not even talking about in this trial, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Well, the other thing is the defense that, hey, yeah, I got paid. I got paid off, but I disclosed it. it, it, It's like that doesn't ameliorate the fact that you took money to... Betray the public trust. So I never bought that argument. I thought he was crazy there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What response did a federal judge give to Republican activists seeking to remove the legislative gerrymandering case from the Ohio Supreme Court? Lisa, this was kind of a a, a sleazy tangential effort to stop the process that we've put into the Constitution
3: Is it going to work? No, I don't think so, at least not at this point. Uh, U.S. District Judge Algernon Marbley says he's not going to intervene on the redistricting process right now. He said he might in the future if the May 3rd election date becomes jeopardized. But he says the Supreme Court hasn't ruled on the maps. We don't have maps. Acting before the Ohio Supreme Court ruling would be a waste of resources. And it would also override a precedent that federal courts defer to states on political maps, which is an important point. Um, He did set a deadline for tomorrow. Judge Marbley set a deadline for tomorrow for the attorney general to share the date at which Ohio will pass the point of no return on the May 3rd elections, which I would think would be coming up pretty quick.
1: (laughs) I would think it was yesterday, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seems like we're past that point already. Right. right?
3: And this is all from a February lawsuit that was filed by the Ohio Right to Life president, Mike Gonadakis, and several other GOP activists, many of them anti-abortion. They want to use the legislative map approved by the Redistricting Commission, but rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court last month. They're requesting that all legislative elections be blocked until the rejected map is put in place.
1: What what, It is amazing, though, that the Ohio Supreme Court keeps going without making a Mm -hmm. decision. I mean, the federal judge did kind of lay the groundwork, like, I might still weigh in if they can't get to go. If the process doesn't look like it will yield maps, the process we voted for, that this judge might intervene, which I think is a message to the Ohio Supreme Court, hey— where are you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like said, he said,
3: doesn't, he doesn't want to have to make this decision. It's really the state's decision.
1: I'd love to know what's going on in the Ohio Supreme Court because they haven't delayed like this previously. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What happened with Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb's surprise announcement a few weeks ago that he wanted to oust Valerie McCall from the board of the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority? McCall, of course, was a top lieutenant to Frank Jackson, Bibb's predecessor, Layla, how does this episode yeah. end? So
0: Bib seems to have quietly backed away from his decision to replace Valerie McCall. She was appointed, as you said, to RTA in 2006 by Frank Jackson. And then Bibb took office in January, and he announced kind of out of the blue that he wanted to boot McCall from her seat a year before her three-year term was said to expire. And he wanted to replace her with Lauren Welch, who is a routine RTA writer who works for the Say Yes to Education Cleveland Scholarship Program. And this was all intended to fulfill his campaign promise to get more riders on RTA's board. But the decision was really controversial at the time, and it appeared headed for a challenge because, according to Courtney Astolfi's reporting, state law doesn't allow mayors to remove public transit board members without cause. So Bibb had some explaining to do, and he didn't really have any answers at the time. His spokeswoman simply said, basically, he has the right to remove anyone he wants from those seats. And it looks, like, it looks like Bibb probably figured out that the law wasn't on his side with this one. So he just sort of decided to appoint Welch quietly to another open RTA seat. And he's going to let McCall ride out the last year of her term.
1: You know, we talked about this when he did it and said that he didn't have any grounds to do it. And we also talked that it was a little bit not graceful to take out one of his predecessors top lieutenants it was insulting to Valerie McCall which was picked up upon by the city council president William exactly. griffin you know but so i'm a little bit surprised now that he's realized his error you know he didn't have somebody that was a veteran to whisper in his ear saying hey you can't do that that he didn't apologize to her i mean it That's was true. it was pretty insulting what he did and to quietly walk away without coming out and saying, you know what? I was wrong. I, I thought I could put some new people on there. I'm sorry to barely McCall. This was no sign of disrespect. You know, I, I, this is no sign of disrespect to Frank Jackson. I think, I think it lacks grace, one, to do this, and two, to quietly walk away from it without making the apology. Yeah. No? Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. Unless he made the apology in private, which, you know, we don't know. he And he hasn't explained anything about his you know his decisions why he what did he learn that made him change his mind Uh, you know nothing he hasn't really spoken of it at all and and you know as you said city council has to approve the appointment and back when courtney first reported his intention to remove her it seemed pretty clear that council president blaine griffin wasn't going to play along so you know you know just (laughs) you're right um he should have just kind of publicly gracefully said oh i i was wrong about this and uh um, you know, here's the new plan. He he now plans to to allow her not only to serve out the the rest of her term. He's he's going to name Jeffrey Sleesman, who was the other appointee he had named uh, back then. Um, he's another routine rider. He's gonna he's gonna replace her uh, McCall once her term expires in 2023 with this other uh, this other routine rider Jeff, Jeffrey Sleesman. So that that can has been kicked down the road a little while, but again, without any public explanation of that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, see, a private apology wouldn't cut it because it was a public embarrassment to Valium Call. One, he never explained why he didn't want her mm-hmm. on there. He just left people to speculate, and now that he's leaving her there, he hasn't apologized to her. So, not not a great uh, episode for the new mayor. He's generally had a good run, but this one was one of his failings. It's today in Ohio. So, <laughs> so Laura, everybody's gonna have a gun. Mike DeWine signed a bill yesterday that completely changes the way we look at the carrying of concealed weapons in Ohio. And it is a remarkable end to a 50 year journey in America from when guns were pretty much illegal without special permits and exceptions to this point. What's going on? What did he what did he say when he signed it?
2: Yeah, I will not have a gun. So not going to worry about that. But um, as of June 12, you do not need a permit or any training to carry a concealed handgun in Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine on Monday signed this Republican-backed legislation, which we've talked about before on the podcast. Uh, They no longer require people to proactively tell law enforcement during traffic stops that they're armed. And It's an interesting move from DeWine. Obviously, he has signed other gun bills in the past. But after the Dayton shooting, he was really adamant that he wanted gun reform in Ohio. And basically now he's he's signed this. It's not like he vetoed it or just let it go without his signature. And he said, as a governor, you have to make tough decisions. Mm -hmm. And I have a decision to make.
1: I'm fascinated by the change. I I just it's I've lived long time and there was definitely a period is in the 1970s where people didn't have guns and 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 if you had a gun you were in violation of the law there you could get special permits but it was almost like a police chief would have to sign it for you and you'd really have to make the case and it's been an erosion over the years the nra has spent a lot of money lobbying to get it but now anywhere you go anytime you see an argument you're going to have to think somebody in that argument might be carrying a gun.
2: You know what? I mean, that's a terrifying thought. What I
0: what I don't uh, understand is is why why eliminate the requirement that you have to notify a police officer during a traffic stop that you have a gun in the vehicle? What, what's the point of that? These right. are the blue lives matters people, aren't they?
1: Right? Don't the thin they blue line? Yeah. Right. I think it's the strict constitutionalism of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And the people behind these laws say anything you do involving a gun is an infringement. Uh, it, it, and again, it's a big national debate. We're not the first state to do it. Actually, it's the majority of states now have this. But it, it's probably one of the biggest cultural shifts this country's ever seen. Lisa, you've been around as long as I have. When, when you were growing up, did you ever think there'd come a day where everybody could have a gun? No,
3: not at all. And see, my dad used to work down, he had an office, doctor's office down on Wilbur Avenue in Cedar, and it was kind of a dangerous neighborhood back then. And he bought a gun in like 1972 because his secretary got mugged in his office and almost killed. And that was the reason he bought a gun, but he like, you know, kept it locked up and, you know, never let us kids touch it or anything. I don't think he only fired it a couple of times, but it was so unusual to have a gun in the house in the 70s. Well,
1: and he certainly couldn't carry it back and forth to right. his office, right? Unless he had a permit. So I don't know. It's a, it's what the NRA wanted. This has been a gigantic business. The number of guns that have been sold over the years is astronomical, but it, it it's a very different setting In America, where no matter where you go, you know, people could have a gun and you know what happens when people have tempers and they have guns. I'll be really interested to see if we end up with a rash of gun violence because so many people feel free to carry them. I wonder if gun sales will go up now for all the people that didn't want to get a permit, but now know they can carry a gun without one.
2: Even though it's interesting that every time there's threats of gun reform, that's when the gun right, sales come Right, right. Or if right? there's a black president,
1: <laughs> you know, then
3: people buy guns. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is the bad news for vacationers that United Airlines will halt its summer routes to East Coast destinations this summer? Lisa, I think a lot of people are looking forward to taking real vacations this year after 2 years of COVID. It's going to get going to be a bit more difficult if you live in Cleveland.
3: Well, and it seems like a national pilot shortage is a big issue and partly to blame for the discontinuation of some of these seasonal routes. So at Hopkins, they're they're discontinuing the 3 times a week service for leisure travelers to Pensacola, Florida, Portland, Maine, and Hilton Head, South Carolina. These are mostly the smaller 50-seater planes These are not the big 737s that fly these routes. And United is so concerned about the pilot shortage that they've established the United Aviate Academy Flight School, and they aim to train 5,000 new pilots over the next 10 years.
1: The, The idea that you can't fly to the North Carolina beaches, which is a big favorite of Cleveland, probably... Worries the the people that have young children, right, Layla. If you were going down to North Carolina, is it easier to drive the whatever it is, eleven hours? Or oh, get on a plane. I don't and fly. think I
0: would get on a plane with a toddler.
2: It's so much easier to drive. So you just much. put them in the car. You put everything you need in the car, and wow. you drive. I mean, un- unless all you're right. going um.
0: across the country. But if we're talking about like East Coast destinations, and, and yeah, anything that's within a day or two drive, I would. <laughs> Do you never. know how much
2: stuff you have to pack when you have a toddler? Are you gonna? <laughs> oh. You
0: know, no. And then you have to worry about all the passengers that you're shoulder to shoulder with being annoyed by your kids, and I don't. I hate that kind of stress. That's not a vacation. Man.
1: All right. I'm going to offer the countervail, <laughs> counterbalance to that. My daughter wants to come up with her two-year-old toddler this summer. And the whole idea is I'll come if I'm flying. They don't want to drive that oh. far with the two-year-old. So not they everybody. They only have one yeah. kid, though.
2: Throw two so more I feel in like the mix and they'll a big be like, we're difference. renting the van. <laughs> we're renting the van and you have DVDs That's for the right. entire
1: ride. That's the screen. Lisa is. Anything in the story that says that this is a short-term thing and that they expect that the the pilot shortage will abate, or is this something that will be chronic? I, I
3: I think I would think it would be chronic. I mean, if they're going to try and train that many pilots over the next few years, but it's not all bad news. I mean, they are adding back business flights. If things have opened up after COVID, business travel is is up, and so they've added back some routes to Newark, New Jersey, uh, Chicago, Denver, and San Francisco. So they're just kind of rebounding. Balancing, I guess you know, the tourist load between business and leisure.
2: Okay. I mean, I, I think that this opens an opportunity for all those budget airlines, and you know, in Cleveland and Akron, that they can put these routes on. Because I just booked a trip, you know, on Breeze for forty nine dollars. So hey, let's get some more of those forty nine dollars. Where bucks. are you going for forty nine dollars?
0: Akron. Um, we're going <laughs> <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> to oh, fly yeah. to
2: Hartford, and we're going to we're going to go to Newport. So, okay. Run a car.
1: <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the dream projects for Cleveland leaders as the state starts collecting proposals for how to spend the Ohio capital budget? Layla, they have some ideas that would involve the lake. Yeah. Front. The
0: city of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, and the Greater Cleveland Partnership came together to draft this letter that they sent Thursday to DeWine's office, making 10 requests for project funding. Among them are a walkway connecting downtown's mall to Lake Erie, and an Irish Town Bend project to transform 24 acres of unusable brownfield land into a park connecting Ohio City to the Cuyahoga River. DeWine and the lawmakers are, are seeking these requests from communities for the capital budget. It's a state spending bill that the legislature passes every two years, and the capital budget is expected to include line items for all kinds of community development projects, along with construction projects for state facilities like universities and prisons and things like that. The deadline for communities to submit their wish lists is this Friday. But what's so heartening about the story is that our regional leaders came together to submit their list. Laura Hancock reported that normally they submit their requests individually, and that creates this, you know, competition. Together, they can really galvanize their energy and uh, and funnel it all into one, one giant wish list for the greater good of the county. Um, One of the biggest projects on the list, of course, is the Downtown Lakefront Connector Project, which they say has the potential to spur a billion dollars in cultural and economic development along the lakefront. The project could cost $200 million in all. At this point, it's still in the study phase, and the region's leaders are are asking the state to help with that preliminary funding. But there's lots of other great projects on this list. Uh, The Beulah Park uh, Euclid Beach Connector Trail, which would uh, provide lakefront access for underserved communities and create public access to the lakefront for the Ulip Park and North Collinwood neighborhoods. There's a, um, the Greater, Cle- Greater Collinwood Community Career Center, uh, which um, would offer programs in information technology and manufacturing. It's just full of worthwhile projects, connector trails, neighborhood-based education centers, things like that. All right.
1: So uh, we talk pretty frequently about how there's new leadership evolving in greater Cleveland. And we've talked plenty in the past about how so many of these organizations worked in their own Mm -hmm. silos. You know, the Cleveland Rising was all about trying to break down silos. It seems like we're we're getting there. If all of them come together to work together for the first time that that's a good sign about where Cleveland leadership is it's headed. It's a great right?
0: sign. I mean, you know, even some of the old guard was a part of this, including you know Armin Budish. He was a part of this this synergistic, uh, you know, uh, work group, and uh, it's it's a great sign. Um, you know, we'll we'll see if if they can uh, if how many of these projects will actually make it through the final cut.
1: You've got to think that because they're all together and aligned and seeking them, that it puts them ahead. Whereas in the past, yeah. somebody at the state level had to play Solomon and pick and choose. If the region is united in what it wants, you would think that would put us in a good place to yeah. get it. Yeah,
0: I hope, I hope so. These are, the, the list is full. Everyone should go check it out. On, there are so many good projects on, on, the, on the, the top ten.
1: Okay. It's Today in Ohio. Here's the talker story of the day. Why has Dolly Parton asked to be removed from consideration for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Laura?
2: I feel like this is just going to endear Dolly Parton to more people and shoo her into the Rock Hall. <laughs> but <laughs> she she said that she wants to bow out of consideration because she's basically not a rock and roll um, artist. And maybe she's been listening to this podcast, Chris, because that's your whole argument against putting her into the rock hall. She says she's honored and she'd love to be considered in the future because she wants to put out a rock album.
1: Yeah, that's the part I loved. I'm going to put out a rock album and then I'll, I'll get in. I, it was a very, a lot of class, very. a lot of grace there. She knows that there was a big debate going on about whether she should be in, and she ended it in in probably, you're right, the most endearing way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she, yeah, she'll probably get elected just because. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she's,
2: she's one of 17 nominees for this class. The vote's going to be announced in early May, and she's actually fourth in the fan vote, which counts for basically nothing. But official voter ballots already went out, and so they could have come back. You know, People could have been voting for her already. Um, but actually it's very rare to ask to be removed from the ballot. And according to Troy Smith, who is the Rock Hall expert who wrote the story, he doesn't really think the Rock Hall will remove her from the ballot and say, hey, don't vote for her and just either hope that she doesn't get elected or if she does, she changes her mind.
1: Was Okay, so the the we'll just have to see how the votes come in because there's really nothing that can be done.
2: I, I don't think the Rock Hall is going to preemptively do something about it. But but maybe everyone will listen to Dolly and say, OK, she doesn't want to be in, so don't vote for her. I mean, we don't even know who the voters are, so. <laughs>
1: Maybe she'll write a song about it. <laughs> we'll see.
0: You know, I'm not a Dolly her- Parton. I'm not a fan of Dolly Parton's music. I'm not a country fan, but I love Dolly Parton, the person. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. is- Does I'm anyone really-
2: dislike Dolly Parton? She's, I mean, there was a whole podcast about how she's this great uniter. Like everybody, all sides of the political spectrum find Dolly, like, endearing and, and resonate with her. And Remember, so, there was yeah, that news story Dolly. about how
0: she had unwittingly helped fund the COVID vaccine development.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like I don't even course, think it was Dolly, unwitting, but, but she she didn't talk about it, but she had given money. I thought she had to, given
0: money to uh, yeah. to some. Well, I'll I'll go find the story before I keep talking about it. But I thought it was like she it, donated to something Dolly and didn't Parton know that cure that's where. Yeah. It's like, of course, Dolly Parton is saving humanity, she's COVID, yeah.
3: <laughs> and she's already enshrined okay. in the Country Music Hall of Fame. I mean, so she's already a Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How self-aware of her to put out that
1: message? I love it. Right. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is Ohio getting from the big bipartisan spending bill passed by the U.S. House of Representatives? Lisa, this is a question we've been wanting to talk about for more than a week. And we're finally talking about right. it.
3: Right. I had my, my, my notes from last week. I didn't have to make notes for this story yesterday. But, yeah, this is uh, the $1.5 trillion uh, government bill to fund the government through uh, 2022. Lots of money in there specifically for Lake Erie, over $412 million in several projects for Lake Erie, including Cleveland Harbor Maintenance, $10 million, a huge chunk, $348 million, goes to the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. That's in addition to $200 million from the federal infrastructure bill that's also going to this initiative. They're going to spend $8 million on algal bloom research, uh, invasive carp management, that's going to be about $40.4 million, and also $25 million on Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Lots and just all kinds of harbor and water upgrades throughout, you know, throughout the state of Ohio. But the interesting thing about this bill is that earmarks have returned. This is the first time that we've had earmarks in a bill, in a budget bill since 2011, when they were banned by the U.S. House. And as far as earmarked projects, uh, Sherrod Brown and Dave Joyce by far had the most earmarked projects for Ohio in this list.
1: Didn't Dave Joyce, though, when they stopped earmarks, wasn't he one of the ones that supported the end of earmarks?
3: I was not here, so I would have to defer to somebody with uh, experience, but yeah. Yeah, I thought
1: I thought he was one of the people that was outspoken about getting rid of earmarks, which earmarks is the nice way of saying pork. Right. And there was a serious effort, largely led by Republicans, man, it's been, what, eight, nine, ten years, to get that out of the budget, to stop having the taxpayers pay for things that are not... Absolutely necessary. And we're back in the era of pork. It's interesting. It's today in Ohio. Ohio. Let's do one more. Has the rollout begun for the way the over budget and much delayed ERP project in Cuyahoga County, supposed to tie together all the computer systems? Did taxpayers get the value they were? Promised when this was first envisioned. Layla? We'll
0: see, I guess, because you know, a cool twenty bajillion dollars later. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. The, the the county's you know enterprise resource plating project, which is known as the ERP, they say it's ready to roll. It has already overhauled some county computer systems, such as those that handle the the accounting countywide. And as of this past Sunday, the new system has begun to handle payroll and timesheets for a pretty big portion of the county employees. So. Heaven help them if it fails because you're going to have a lot of angry employees. The chief information officer, Andy Johnson, told Caitlin Durbin that the transition to this new timekeeping system started with about 750 employees in the county executive's office, public safety department, county council and fiscal office, and then they'll phase in other departments over the next few months. That will then, so the next group that will go live will be March 27th. It'll be about 80 employees in, in the planning commission, solid but- waste, and it'll go from there until. May 8th will be the final group. I'm sorry, June 5th.
1: But the the most telling thing for me in that story, and I had forgotten this, forget that it's $10 million more than it's supposed to be and it's, what, four years late. We're only getting 75% of That's what right. we originally contracted for. Now the county says no, no, no. It's more than seventy-five percent. It's, it's, it's 80. closer to eighty, right? <laughs> I know. Okay, but we're still we're so so we paid way more than we wanted to. It took way longer than it was supposed to, and we're only getting you know two thirds or the four fifths of what we're supposed yeah,
0: to. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I thought I laughed out loud when I read this. Councilman Michael Gallagher, a couple, you know, last year, twenty twenty, had could called the ERP project one of the worst things Kaiga County has been dragged into <laughs> and he told Caitlin like his opinion hasn't changed today he feels like you know several modules were promised as part of the original contract and they've been cut from it back in 2019 the county split the project into these two phases to move it forward opting to, to reduce the scope of the work and defer other pieces like talent management expense management things like that um you know But if the county decides later that it wants all those capabilities, that's going to cost more time and money to bring them online. So county council you know, they're, they're, Mike, Mike Gallagher is, is, is not impressed. He's slow clapping this thing across the finish line.
1: (laughs) You know, we talk often about the incompetence of the Armin Budish administration. Number one in his legacy hit parade, of course, is the deaths (laughs) at the jail and the poor conditions at the jail. This might be number two. This is one of the biggest failings we've seen government commit. And it's, all on his plate. This was his baby. He brought this in, and uh, he just could not manage yeah. it. I don't know that there's a, anything worse than this other than, of course, what happened at the jail. So not a not a good news story. That'll do it. But You're God listening- bless
2: Mike Gallagher for, for always being there and keeping us on keeping tabs on things
1: things. and being and being a good quote (laughs) machine it's it's today in Ohio that wraps it up we're over time thanks layla thanks laura thanks lisa thanks to everybody who listens we'll be back wednesday for another discussion of the news